Hey, it's me, Behavior Babe here, and I just wanted to take a quick opportunity to thank you for following me, for listening to the podcast, and for supporting me and my dissemination efforts through all, all of these years, or however long you've been following along. I want to let you know about a new patron membership. It is going to be a group of Behavior Babes, and this is um, not uh, open to a particular gender or anything like that. It is open to everybody and I want you to come with me. And if you're craving conversations, common sense and actual solutions to the problems we are all facing as a field and as an industry, uh, come, come join in the conversations and let's help execute these solutions that we know our clients deserve, that we deserve and that these systems so desperately need. Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Thanks for joining me today. I have Dr. Tyra Sellers back on the show. Tyra, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, here we are headed into another year. Um, This time we are, I think, comfortable starting to say in air quotes, post the pandemic life as we knew it, at least. Um, I know, right? We can never say post just yet. Um, um, We'll see where that takes us. But you were on the show, it feels like now, so many, many moons ago, and our field has just grown exponentially. And I won't make the assumption that everyone's listened to every one of my previous episodes. So let's do what we always do and begin by having you give a little bit of an introduction of yourself for our listeners. Um, Okay. That's my least favorite part. So thanks for having us get that out of the way right at the beginning. Uh, Hi, everybody. I'm Tyra. Um, I'm a Taurus. Um, (laughs) I do like long walks on the beach. Uh, let's see, here's the lowdown. I've been in the profession a long time, started in the early nineties. I'm from California originally. Didn't realize I was going to be in this profession lifelong, tried to not be bachelor's in philosophy. Then I went to law school all the while working in our profession. And then eventually got the memo that this was my path and I should just lean into it. Got a master's. Then went on to get my PhD, mostly clinical work my whole life, even post PhD, went right back into clinical work because that's what I love. Uh, And I love all of you doing the clinical work because it's hard and I see you and you're doing an amazing job. Um, I did a a baby stint um, as a professor at Utah State University had um, a clinic to assess and treat severe problem behavior. So I worked in my clinical career in a wide variety of settings, a lot of time in schools um, and a lot of time doing severe problem behavior. So that's kind of what I was doing there. Um, But super love for ethics and supervision. So done a lot of work there, ended up as director of ethics at the BACD for a few years, which was incredible. Um, And I learned so, so, so much. And then took a year, did some consulting again, got to contact providers again and 
learn about, you know, all of the amazing things that folks are doing and support some areas where things were a little more difficult. And then just recently, January 1st, I started as CEO at the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts, or APBA, if you don't want to have to say a big old mouthful. So that's it. Um, well, wait, story. Uh, I'm sticking to I it. have to just stop. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to pause to, to, to everybody. That is a huge Congratulations, Tyra. Oh, thanks. You know, and I also want to mention that, yes, it's the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts or APBA, or if you're one of the students in my grad class, APBA. She's like, you know, APBA. And I was like, what is APBA? And then I'm like, oh, APBA. I'm so excited you know about it. So it might be APBA to some. It sounds like a snack. Hey, let's go grab some APBA. But but I know your journey and your description doesn't end there. I did just want to interject that. Congrats. No, that's actually literally the end. Um, oh. And we should talk about it no more. No, I'm just kidding. I'll answer any questions. But, you know, like, listen, it was a twisty, turny, incredible journey so far. And I know that there are still twists and turns for me to navigate. And I think... Um, I'm not risk averse. So that means I'll have lots of opportunities for cool stuff. And I've got great support network um, in my family and colleagues like you and so many other people that have helped and encouraged. And so, yeah, that's the journey is just there are lots of choices out there and make one and don't stress about it being the best one because you can't identify that until after you've made the choice y'all it's kind of like we <laughs> don't know something functions as a reinforcer until after it's been delivered right so like stop stressing the choices be smart make a good choice and then check it in your rear view if it wasn't the, the choice that turned out the way you wanted it to guess what you get to make another choice so that's it yeah it's daunting but also exciting I think it's freeing in the sense that like just make the choice yeah. make the choice see what comes out of it and we'll identify if it's a reinforcer or not in the future. Yeah. Really conditions really well. That's right. Um, No, I think if you have a history of looking back and the choices are not optimal and you can see some patterns, you probably have a little work to do, but that's okay because choice making is just a response that can be shaped and, you know, you, you can get better at it. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, one of the skills that I've been working on over the last couple of years used to be in asking for help, right? That was Mm. an underdeveloped skill in my repertoire. And fortunately, I guess, or unfortunately, I had a lot of opportunities to ask for help kind of consecutively. Mm. And then the next skill I had to learn was accepting help. And I'm like, oh, these are different skills. And so it is, it's one of those things where you look back and you say in the rear view, this is what I'm going to learn from what I did, but we're going to have to re-encounter difficult, uncomfortable, dark, sometimes moments to, to practice that skill again. And so one thing I've done is I've reframed like, okay, here's my opportunity to do with what I learned in the rear view, to put your words into that. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I try to ask myself, what, what is this moment offering me to learn? Right. Like where's the learning in this opportunity, um, which kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. It's not like, oh, I made a bad choice. It's like, no, this is just the context arranging itself so that you can learn something different. So, <laughs> No, that's a fancy reframing and you have to get really good and practice that a lot before that becomes a default, right? Before it's that true. becomes a default. 
Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I love you sharing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, that you know, asking for asking for help and accepting help has traditionally been difficult for you. I'm same. Um, I, I'm not saying, but I'm saying I heard that's a trauma response. But you know, what, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that it's really brave of you to talk about that, though, because I think, you know, people people that look up to you may perceive like you don't ever need help because you've got it so together and you being willing to share, not only do you sometimes need help because guess what? You're a human, but it's also sometimes hard to ask for help. And then it's sometimes hard to accept it when it's available to you. And I think that's really important because life is hard and we, we're not going to get through it well alone, right? Like we want to do it well, we have to lean on each other. Yes, yes, yes. Somebody recently said to me, you know, it can't be done alone. And I said, hey, even if it could, I don't want to. I don't want to do it alone. And I think that that thank you for that feedback. I think that's this is a wonderful reinforcer for sharing information. You know, yeah. recently I did. I called up my folks. I had just healed from a surgery or was in the process still of healing. And I said, hey, I thought I had it but I'm very stubborn and I know I'm just going to do all the things I'm not supposed to do. So my antecedent strategy is to ask one of you to come visit for a little bit. And, um, and my father did, and that was a, an incredible reinforcer. A lot of time, a lot of time spent with him. So I cherish that for sure. That's you know, so Tyra, nice. one of the things that I've been noticing about the conversations people have and respond really well um, with you is a lot around like this, this definition of professionalism and mm. like, what does it mean to be a professional? And I believe you shared about that recently um, through APBA. And I'm just hearing so much, this really positive residual chatter coming from that. Um, what is your stance on that? What's the difficulty? Where are people feeling stuck about what is a professional? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I will say the conversation that took place during that um, APBA uh, M3 meeting, it's like, it's like member mentor Monday. Oh, okay. Mouthful of the M words. A mouthful. Um, <laughs> yes, a mouthful. I, uh, the conversation really was at everybody that attended those two meetings. I just sort of, I, I didn't even know that it was going to go that way necessarily. Um, but, you know, people, our professionals out there are ta- are talking, meaning people practicing uh, behavior analysis, right? That um, meaning of of our professionals are talking about this, and it's incredible. And they're so they're so thoughtful, and the impacts are so nuanced. And you know, like, look, there's this idea of professional functionally can you perform the duties that need to be performed and can you perform them accurately and safely? And there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, and then I think there's this aspect of professional in terms of sort of maybe cultural norms and some of which makes sense, right? Are you speaking to your audience in the way you need to, which sort of gets it? Can you, um, can you perform the the job that you need to do? But then there's this other aspect of professional or unprofessional that is very topographical and has been defined by groups in the historic uh, majority. Um, And I think that 
the term professional or unprofessional. And I don't even think this, I mean, there are some studies out there that demonstrate this effect um, is used to other minimize, diminish, um, edge out people, right? Or it's used in um, sort of a, it's not even a microaggression. I mean, it's a, it's a straight up aggression to say, yeah, that someone from a particular group is professional because they dress like, look like, talk like another majority group, right? So I don't, like, I'm not mad at the word professional or the word unprofessional. I'm just, I'm just concerned a little bit that we have been shaped to use it in a particular way that exercises some of our implicit biases and it feels yucky to admit it, but doing that work is what honors the people in our lives, right? And in our profession. And I am in multiple majority groups, right? I'm straight, cis, white. I've got a, you know, a good education. Um, and I have one physical aspect of myself. I'm kind of covered in in tattoos that are pretty, like I've got them on my fingers. You know, you can see them. I, I can't, I would be hard pressed to cover all of my tattoos. And certainly I've been told that those things are unprofessional. I grew up lower SES. So if I don't speak a certain way, I have been told in the past that way of speaking or that presentation style, that way to connect with people is unprofessional. I've had a shaved head in the past and been told that was unprofessional, unless of course people thought that I was ill or when they found out the reason that I did it, which was in solidarity with uh, one of my best friends who um, was kicking the crap out of cancer. Um, and then all of a sudden it was great, but uh, you know, like we need to make space that we react to people based on implicit biases and and frames and relations that have been developed without us even being aware of it and i think as behavior analysts we need we need to be aware of that um and we're you know who better than us to kind of have a a conceptual treatment of how that term can be functioning in a way that is harmful to the very people that we want to lift up um in our profession so Thank you for sharing that. I, I wasn't able to attend that, but I could just see that it made such an impact in the conversations that people are continuing to have. And what I'm looking for and what I'm always attracted to is people who are continuing the conversations. Because as you mentioned, so much comes down to context and so much is um, being influenced that we're not always aware of. And just before we started recording, I told you I had stuck this assignment into my ethics class, but it's it's thanks to you and what you were just talking about here, these implicit biases. And so you had mentioned um, where people could go and learn more about that and they could kind of assess themselves or check themselves uh, uh -huh. through an implicit bias uh, test. And I have to tell you, it ignited so much conversation. My students, some of them, I disagree with these results. Okay, why? And, and why do you feel that way? Well, I actually, it says that I actually overfavor a population that you would think I would discriminate against. Okay, well, are you maybe overcompensating? I mean, this is just information for you to think about. It right. was only graded as if they had done it or not done it, not what their answer is. Right. You, you yeah. don't have to share the results. 
that's what I told him. You don't have to tell me what it says. You don't have to tell me what it says. But those kinds of gems, I think, are being dropped all the time, especially by people who are, as you said, doing the work and trying to do that work for ourselves and modeling that for others. I just want to put a plug in, you know, there's a group of folks, um, we did a panel together. So I, I think the panel is occurring again at Calaba coming up this year. Um, I don't know exactly who is going to be in the panel um, at Calaba this year, but, you know, Donna Meller, um, Dr. Antonio um, Harrison, um, Shaneria Braithwaite, um, Sin McDonald, uh, Ruth Tello, like those are all folks that have participated in versions of this panel where they talk about, and with the exclusion of Donna Meller, all of the other individuals are um, individuals who are BIPOC, and they talk about how professional or unprofessional as a term or as a kind of a cultural concept in our field, in our profession has impacted them. Um, and they also share kind of how they have used it. Um, and Donna Miller talks about that too, and also in kind of the business setting. So um, folks, if you're attending Calaba, go check out that panel because it's fire. Yes. Well, gosh, thank you so much for that plug. And again, those are some great names of folks that we've had on the show, some of them, and um, you know, not everybody. So they're all invited. Antonio <laughs> Harrison, in particular, Dr. Antonio Harrison, he really did kick off a lot of the conversations I felt about a, much of this in our careers, or excuse me, in our field throughout his career by sharing his experiences. And mm -hmm. I remember when he wrote um, his letter, Divorcing the Field, and that's when I had reached out and invited him on to come talk. So I'm so glad he has not divorced the field and the science. We are all much better because of the likes of him and the work that he inspires every day. But it has been, I think, because of some shifting landscapes, which is really nice to see. So here we are. Um, I'm just going to name the year for everybody. It'll make us a time capsule in the future. But 2023, <laughs> when you look back on us, and we're at the start of the year, we haven't had Calaba yet. I'm excited. It'll be my my first Calaba, dare I say, um, because the last one was the Cal Nonference. And so um, I shall, sh that was not my fault. It was a pandemic, but we shall try again. <laughs> we shall try again. And I'm very excited, very excited to hear that. Again, there are spaces for these conversations to continue. Um, Tara, when I think about you know, where the field is now and where the field was yesterday and where it will be tomorrow. Some of those things are very exciting and some of them are very daunting. And actually, perhaps they're both both of those things or they're all those things. Yeah. How would you describe the landscape of our field right now of, of the practitioners? Like, what is the information from the vantage point that you have of of the makeup of the land, if you will? Well, before I answer that, I want to say I love that you described that two opposing things can be simultaneously true, because I think that's hard for us as humans. It feels not orderly. It feels not appropriate. We like things sequentially or, you know, neat um, and separate. And I think that that's something um, in my career that I am learning. I'm learning that about people too, right? Like, things two opposing things two opposing feelings two opposing thoughts can be sim simultaneously true at the same time and I think there's beauty in acknowledging that so I just wanted to say I'm, I'm glad that you said that and I think that if people talk and think about that a bit more 
like it, it, like Amanda Ralston says, right? Like it's not binary. There's so many things. It's not one or the other. And sometimes it's both at the same thing at the same time. So I love that. Um, okay. Landscape of our profession. I mean, I often have described these years as sort of the awkward teenage years um, of our profession. You know, we're we're gangly, we've got some knowledge, we're trying to use that knowledge, we're we've got some skills, we're trying to use that skill. Sometimes we nail it, we get it right. Sometimes we realize that uh, what we did back then or over there doesn't work now, but we're not quite sure what else to do. It's like, I don't know what to do with my hands, you know, like, <laughs> how do I stand? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're well-intended, but the words don't come out right sometimes, or we're too quick because our frontal lobe isn't just, is not done uh, baking. So I think... <laughs> We've, we've come far. I think we've done tremendous things. I think that we need to continue on that path, but honor the places that we haven't done great and make space for that and talk about it. And that the way I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, including mistakes that have hurt people. Um, and I can either ignore those or I can be kind of debilitated, like that can suppress my responding, right? Because I'm so afraid or I carry shame versus guilt, which, you know, guilt is me acknowledging that those choices or the behavior wasn't great and it was harmful and do something different. And shame is like, I'm a bad person, which I wrestle with that, to be honest. Um, but, uh, you know, instead, what I try to do is honor the the harm that I've caused, the mistakes that I've made by do obviously repair if I can, but do better, right? Like learn, do make different choices, be more mindful, have that always present so that it serves as an EO to not respond the same way I've responded in the past. And I think that's where our field is. I think we're figuring that out. And sometimes the pendulum swings a little far before you kind of hit that sweet spot. But I think we, I think we grew super fast. I mean, I don't know about listeners, but look, I'm five foot eight and I grew, I was four eleven and three quarters when I ended the sixth grade and I was five seven by the time I ended the seventh grade. So I've been almost this height since I was an awkward gangly teenager, but it was really painful to grow that fast it hurt physically and I was clumsy and I didn't know where my body was in space. And I had an image of myself that didn't match the way I actually took up space in the world. And I think that's kind of where our field is now. Um, but I think that we have leaders and doers who are compassionate, who aren't afraid of discomfort. And I don't think, listen, for a while there was, you know, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't, and I, and I think I probably have said that because it's catchy and it's sort of like, yeah. But when I think about it, we should never get comfortable being uncomfortable because the discomfort should serve as an SD for wake up and pay attention and learn and do something different. So it's not necessarily about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. It's about allowing the discomfort and valuing the discomfort. And um, and I think we've got leaders and doers and up and coming people that that 
align with that and that are going to help shape our profession in such a profound way. Um, I'm excited. I mean, there are things that, you know, are funky and I still have a little bit of the, these kids today. And when I was a behavior analyst, you know, I had to walk uphill both ways uh, to school or whatever, you know, but for the most part, I'm in awe. And I think that our our professional spaces are getting so much more inclusive and what we know about diversity in all in all shapes and forms, not just racial diversity, which is incredibly important, but all diversity, neurodiversity, uh, you know, socioeconomic upbringing, um, folks from that have different sexual orientations and gender identities and different religions and you name it. We know that that breeds innovation and that when groups are more diverse, they're better at problem solving and y'all got a lot of problems to solve. So I think that's another beautiful thing that's happening in our profession is I, I look at speakers, I look at the faces in the audience when I'm presenting and they don't all look like me and that just is so beautiful. So yeah. that's what I see. I see us fumbling through this awkward phase and hopefully we come out. Uh, you know, wiser and more skilled and maybe a little cooler than we are right now. Um, but I, I have a lot of hope for our profession. Yeah, a little more hip once our braces come off and uh, we we find our way to fit right, not so gangly into ourselves. Yeah. Yes, I really appreciate that explanation. And I think the personification of the field in the way that you did is something that many people can relate to in our own personal lives. For those of you who weren't a teenager too long ago or who still behave like one sometimes, perhaps that's, you know, me. Um, and or for many of you who are raising them or have them in your lives, you just- Look, if you are raising them, you'll get through it. It's okay. They really do love you. It gets easier. And I love you and you're doing a good job. Okay, sorry. Yeah. No, no apologies needed. Everybody <laughs> needs to hear that, even if they just survive an afternoon sometimes with a teenager. But thinking back to, you know, slamming the doors to I love yous to, yeah, our emotions are also developing. And so the parallel of that and seeing it with our field, I think, is one that's a, it's a bit comical. And in some ways, it diffuses the overwhelm that people have described that they yeah. have felt. People who are entering the field say, I show up and there's all this discussion about things that were right or things that were wrong, or, but now I need to do it this way, but I can't find this in a book. And yeah. And why is there seven ways to define the same term? I'm like that we're still working on that. I don't know if we will find the answer to that. Um, but it really is also a landscape where people who have been practicing for a long time and many people who've, who've been practicing even longer than ourselves are saying like, well, I did walk up the hill, but both, you know, both ways. And it's, I took my exam on a Scantron. Now that's a true statement, right? That's a true <laughs> statement. You guys want to be worried about your exam? What if you forgot to fill in the bubble on number 16? Everything else is wrong. But back to your- Remember back when you had to wait three months for your results? <laughs> let's not, let's not, because I'm going to sound curmudgeon guys. Yes, I remember clearly that. I also wanted to take a moment, though, to to reflect and honor on something that you said about the discomfort of of uh, the comfort of being uh, uncomfortable. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you could spend that however you want. But I think if you really look at the meaning of like, one, don't shy away from it. 
continue to encounter it, but it should never become comfortable, right? It should no longer be scary. I think that's okay. I think maybe that's what we meant with, you know, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, but it's still uncomfortable. And so sit and create the space for it throughout my journeys in the last few years in particular. One of the things I've come to learn is like, where when anxiety is healthy, right? The anxiety that helps you go, oh, oh, today's the last day before the early bird exactly. registration. I'm, oh no, but then I go and register. Oh good, I got the discounted rate. Then my anxiety had been productive for me. Yes. And so I think the discomfort and the awareness and what we can get on the other side of that experience of sitting in that space is sometimes so much more beautiful than what we thought we had walking into that that space to begin with. And so yeah. thank you very much for, you know, talking about, I think, the comfort and the discomfort, the things that can be productive, even though they're not what Excuse we want. Me. Bless you. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I And I love your characterization of, you know, feeling a, a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of, of stress. You know, those are those are, those are ways, um, when they're healthy, when they're not debilitating and they're not making it difficult for you to enjoy and move through your life. But those are, um, experiences that are, uh, I think for me anyway, I'm responding to something and I haven't quite yet discriminated it or uh, like my brain is kind of telling me this thing is important. Pay attention. Right. So if you're a little bit nervous before you speak, that's normal because, speaking in front of other people is important. And, you know, like that's, that's your inner universe saying, cool, double check, you know, is your, is your fly up? Do you have spinach in your teeth? Do you know your content? Do you know your audience? And that's where you need to go. Thank you brain for like rattling the cage and making sure that I had all of my ducks in a row and now I'm good to go. Um, and then you leave it alone, right? Like that's the whole idea. It's like it served, it served you. It was functional at that point and And now you can move on. So I like that characterization. Yes. You know, good, good news, bad news. Other people can't see our thoughts, right? The bad news is when we need them to, and we don't have the words to express it. And the good yeah. news is when I can just let it float away, like a little balloon in the air that neither I nor you needed to hold on to. I think that's really important and something that definitely resonated. Another thing that you said that just hit home was we're problem solvers. No matter Mm -hmm. when we entered into this field, we're here because we are behavior changers because there's something that requires changing in the environment, in our lives, whatever it is. And so, yeah, we should be quite excited about all the problems that exist in the world, because that is just more opportunity for us to find (laughs) solutions, right? There's a way to reframe the overwhelm of the world. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think, I think that our generalized skill sets um, are so applicable in lots of different ways. And it's, I'm really excited in 10 or 15 years to look back and see exactly where behavior analysts are doing amazing work because it's not just going to be with you know within service provision for individuals with autism or you know intellectual or disability uh, developmental disabilities which is obviously incredibly important because that's what I've spent my life doing but it's going to be cool to like see how it has expanded 
For for sure. You know, we had Wes come on the show not too long ago to talk about Team ABA, talk about getting insurance reimbursements for helping with health and fitness. We've had discussions around sustainability. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot more action and we're going to have more support to execute a lot of these things. The growth in the field allows us to have that strength in numbers. It's now about how do we all find a place where we can pull out our strengths from one another and help fill in any, any deficits or skill sets that we might need to evolve or, um, or even supplement. I think that that's beautiful. It's really beautiful. All right. Okay. So enough, enough about all this discomfort and uncomfortable things. Let's talk about some of your favorite things. Tell me about your hobbies, like just in your daily life, like what, what brings you joy and where do you learn to check out or how can you check out? Okay, look, I've said this publicly before. I I get I actually get really nervous talking about self-care um because I I have a fairly high tolerance, I guess, for more work. Um and I say this making sure that that every listener hears like you need to do what's right for you, what brings you comfort, what fills your cup, what keeps you going, what keeps you healthy, what keeps you safe. Um, I don't have a lot of hobbies. I'm going to be really honest with you. And especially right now in my new position at APBA, I am so honored to be able to serve the profession in this capacity that I'm just super pumped about waking up at 2 a.m. with more ideas for things that we need to be doing. I feel this, um, you know, like when you, you know, you know, when you meet someone um, and you just connect with them right, right away and you get like this flash of endorphins. And look, I've been married for 30 years. Um, and I love, um, I love my partner so, so, so much, but like you still meet other people in life that you just connect with. Right. And they become a great friend. Um, and you just thinking about like all the cool things that, that that's kind of where I am right now in my position. So I'm, I'm mostly thinking um, about and talking to other people about what does our profession need? What can APBA continue to do um, to support the right to practice, which is really the focus that um, APBA has had primarily, which, you know, Dr. Gina Green worked tirelessly to ensure our right to practice and collaborate with other organizations. And I think we're really, really solid there. Now, what's the pivot? What are the resources that folks need? So that's a big part of it, to be honest with you. I really do like house plants. You can see some in the background if you're watching. If you're not watching, I've got a lovely Monstera Deliciosa that I propagated. I've got a fiddle fig from a friend of mine, Dr. Sarah Lichtenberger. I have all of those I propagated. So I love house plants. Um, so that's, I guess, one because I they I have like 70 of them, y'all. It's a little bit of a problem. Um, so every weekend and once during the week, I go through and check them all and water them and trim them. And that helps because I can't think about anything else. I mean I can my mind can wander but really I'm there I'm experiencing the texture the smell of the soil um looking at the colors uh and their life and you know that I don't know who said this quote but I see it going around a lot like a flower doesn't bloom so that you praise it it just blooms because that's what it does and that's sort of something that and and one flower doesn't bloom better than another flower like each of them blooms equally beautifully however they're 
blooming. Um, and that helps me a lot when I'm, when I'm tending to my plants is just to, you know, that like it's life and they're doing their thing. And as a behavior analyst, I can see little tweaks to the environment. If I move this one six inches closer to the window, does it do better or not? Um, so that's one thing. And then I, I spend time with my, my partner, my husband, Adam, or my two kids, I've got dogs. I like to go for walks. I love listening to music. I'm obsessed. Um, I'm going to, I have to get the name now because otherwise I'm going to um, butcher it. But at APBA, we are so, so, so lucky to um, have a cellist who is going to be playing at the welcome reception on Thursday night. Um, and that human's name is Gretchen Yanover, and I'm obsessed with her music right now, and I'm just listening to it on repeat. I'm also kind of obsessed with another artist named Ren, very different style of music. So music is another thing. I like to watch movies, I read, and I cook. That's what I do. Okay. So you have hobbies. Um, yes. I didn't think I had hobbies. I have hobbies. I guess, though, some feedback I got from asking that question would be more about what, what brings you joy and where do you find yourself sure. being present? You know, perhaps we think of hobbies as things that we do on the side, and those things are very much integrated into your life. And so, you know, maybe that is a reframe for myself. As you're talking about flowers and houseplants, I'm taking the risk. I'm taking a risk. I have to keep walking. And so I wanted to go to walk in new places. So I've been walking at this nursery and this plants mm. and flowers. And my mom's like, you didn't come home with Don't more. bring your credit card. She's like, did you come home with more? I'm like, mom, it was, they were on sale and I cannot um, generally keep these things alive, but just what you were saying, I'm going to try. And I feel committed. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I want to succeed. Um, but I noticed the other day, just the one was starting to wilt. And I said, Oh, well, and they said it, keep it moist. They maybe meant more water. Okay. Let me try that. And then I saw that it's companion wasn't growing so well, but it did really well when I gave it more water. And I said, okay, it's your turn. Then I came out today and they both look good. And I said, great job, everybody. Look at this. Yes. I learned from you what to do for this one. And it's like, it may sound silly to some, maybe it doesn't to others, but yeah, in that moment, like my routine or, or stopping and looking at their leaves and saying, oh. wow, like, yeah, this good one's job. Tall. And yeah. And just cheering them on and the joy that it brings me. It's like, Hey, wherever you can create that space, even if it is only while you are watering your houseplants, that time can be very helpful, very beneficial, very lovely. And then with music, I love that you shared those. I'm going to definitely look up um, and make sure that I, I get to experience those sounds. And yes. for me, I'll just share with everybody, talk about two opposing kinds of music genres. I've been listening a lot to Trevor Hall and also to the Lizzo channel. So they are very different. One is like mantra meditative and the other is like empower mantra. <laughs> yes. 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 Absolutely. In a minute, I'm going to need a sentimental man or woman to pump Help me, me up. up. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. That was the best. Thank you. Thank yes. you so much. And also, Amanda, get a moisture meter. If you are new to plant care, okay. yes. get a moisture meter. You can get one at the nursery or you can order one online. It's just, it's a little plastic like meter guy like that. And a long um, silver like spike. And you stick it in the soil and it tells you how moist or not moist it is. And that will be really, really helpful as you kind of 
figure out what your plants need and don't need. It's a game changer. See, thank you so much for imparting this knowledge onto me in today's <laughs> podcast. We can be professionals. We can show up professionally and still also be human beings and people. And I think actually that's what that means to do together. I appreciate you so much for emphasizing and describing the topography of professionalism or being a professional and how sometimes that has been used or many times to other individuals, which mm -hmm. decreases the diversity and the voices being shared. What yeah. a, I felt like you did a really nice, like big picture, but then also just tied it together of like how that then becomes problematic for uh, spaces where we all want to be ensuring everybody is included. I also am just thrilled that the field has you taking the reins. Um, thank you, Dr. Gina Green, for establishing APBA in these relationships. Oh. Excited oh. to Dr. Tyra Sellers to just continue the action, the conversations, the momentum. And so let's um, make sure that um, everybody has how to get a hold of you or how to find out more about the conference or what's going on. Let me pause yeah, yeah. a moment to plug that before we wrap up here today. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Speed plug. Um, so check out APBA's website. There'll be some zhuzhing of the website in the coming um, months, but you can learn about the membership benefits. You can learn about membership levels. Students, you can join for 35 bucks. RBTs, you can join for 35 bucks. If you are a brand new certificate from the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, you can join for 10 dollars in your first year. So wow. we want to put our arms around all of the new uh, certificates out there and um, get them lots of resources. So please consider joining. Um, as a matter of fact, here's, I'm going to drop some, some news. This is, no one knows this, but, um, but we put together a welcome packet with some tips and strategies and some encouraging quotes from people in the profession, like um, your former guest, Dr. Nisia Sirensioni Ulizi. Um, and that is going to go out to new certificants um, as just a, here's this, this is, look, you, you think you're like, yeah, I'm done, but you need like, hold your nose. Cause here comes the cold water. Cause this is tough. And we want you to stay for a long time and we want you to be well and successful. And so we have a little welcome handbook that they can access. Um, what else? Uh, oh, the convention is coming up in March. Um, you can join at a couple of different levels. If you can link arms with 10 um, members, 10 APBA members, you can join for 30% off if you want to go in person, 20% off if you want to um, do the live stream. And regardless of how you register, you'll get access to all of the content um, on-demand recordings after the fact. So whether or not you show up in person or you're live streaming, you're going to get access to all of that. So you don't have to choose between, you know, two competing talks that you want to go to. Or if you're just like, well, dang it, APBA and Calabo, why are you big <laughs> jerks and decided to have your conferences or your conventions on the exact same dates, which sometimes that kind of stuff happens and it's not a big deal, but here's the cool thing. If you're going to Calabo, which that's my home state. I love that convention. And you're going to have a fun time. You can still register or just register for the live stream for APBA. You'll get access to that content for 12 months. So you can maximize your CEs, watch at your leisure, watch in your jammies, 
whatever, save some of those talks for, you know, you're going to get sick in the coming year. So now you can binge watch a bunch of a bunch of awesome, awesome talks while you're um, recuperating. So those are a couple of options. If you're coming in person, we've got an event on Thursday night that is for first time convention goers or kind of people new to the convention scene um, and students just to welcome you, to give you some tips, some strategies. I have shared my first convention I ever went to in the 90s. I ended up in the bathroom crying into the mirror because I went to a talk on verbal behavior and I felt stupid and I felt like I shouldn't be there. And I felt like everybody knew, like you said, people can't see your thoughts. I thought everybody could see my thoughts and my thoughts were what? (laughs) And it was awful. And I don't ever want anybody to feel like that. So consider coming. Um... And that's it. That's my APBA plug. Oh, and send me ideas. If you have ideas, things that you think like, oh, it would be really great if APBA could have this resource for professionals. Just email me. It's Tyra at APBAhome.net. Or you can use the info that at the info at APBA that actually comes to me as well. So um, yeah. That's it. And thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I always love where our conversations take us. Um, So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. The pleasure is all mine. And I, I, as I was saying to Dr. Nasia the other day, I said, yeah, oh, forgot it was a podcast. I hope all the listeners enjoyed this too. And that's really what I enjoy about the people who, who have agreed to be guests who come on the show. The conversations flow. I look at the clock and I go, oh my goodness, I have to respect your time. You have other things to do in your day. You're very busy. The last thing that I'll just say is I'm so excited to have these conversations, to continue the conversations with you. And I want to let people know that information one more time. If you're looking to find out about APBA, go to APBA home.net. And for information about applied behavior analysis in general, you can always go to www.behaviorbabe.com. 